Good morning and welcome. Let's turn our Bibles this morning to Acts chapter 13. We're on the journey with Paul and company as they go through Asia, present-day Turkey. God is working, getting his word out there, changing lives. You know, one of the things we do when we pray on Sunday morning before the service, we pray not only for ourselves, but we pray that wherever a Bible is open, that God's Word is going out, you know, in our country. That's how God works. You know, He, he doesn't save nations per se, okay? He saves people one at a time, and the impact of that on the communities and then uh, ultimately on the nation that's, uh, that's his method, one heart, one life at a time. And we want to pick this up here in chapter 13 in verse 38, and we're going to read through the end of this chapter. He says, Therefore let it be known to you, brethren, that through this man, that is Christ, Messiah, is preached to you the forgiveness of sins. And by him, everyone who believes is justified from all things, from which you could not be justified by the law of Moses. Beware, therefore, lest what has been spoken by the prophets come upon you. Behold, you despisers, marvel and perish, for I work a work in your days, a work which you will by no means believe, the one were to declare it to you. And, of course, that was actually happening. And so when the Jews went out of the synagogue, the Gentiles begged that these words might be preached to them the next Sabbath. Now, when the congregation had broken up, many of the Jews and devout proselytes followed Paul and Barnabas, who, speaking to them, persuaded them to continue in the grace of God, and on the next Sabbath, almost a whole city came together to hear the word of God. But when the Jews saw the multitudes, were, they were filled with envy and contradicting and blaspheming. They opposed the things spoken by Paul. And then Paul and Barnabas grew bold and said, It was necessary that the word of God should be spoken to you first. But since you reject it and judge yourselves unworthy of everlasting life, behold, we turn to the Gentiles. For so the Lord has commanded us, uh, another quotation from the prophets, I have set you as a light to the Gentiles, that you should be for salvation to the ends of the earth. And now when the Gentiles heard this, they were glad and glorified the word of the Lord. And as many as been appointed to eternal life believed. And the word of the Lord was being spread throughout all the region. But the Jews stirred up the devout and prominent women and chief men of the city and raised up persecution against Paul and Barnabas and expelled them from their region. But they shook off the dust from their feet against them and came to Iconium. And yet, in spite of it all, the disciples were filled with joy and with the Holy Spirit. Lord, we thank you for that. We thank you, Lord, for the Spirit of God, to fill our hearts and fill our lives. And we ask you to, to do that once again today, Lord, as we read your word, as we internalize it, as we believe and uh, commit ourselves to you, Lord. We thank you that 
the simplicity of believing the gospel, Lord, as we see it in the very gospels, Lord. Uh, we see it in uh, the book of Acts, the early church, and all throughout history. Lord, just simply, Lord, putting our faith, our trust in the Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, the Messiah, the Savior of all mankind. How simple, how beautiful it is. And Lord, we thank you for the transformation, Lord, in our hearts and our minds. And Lord, in our thinking, thank you that you have enabled us to think, Lord, in a different way. To think in a way, Lord, that is, is, is true and pure and godly, in a way that reflects, Lord, you who are in our lives and our hearts. So, Father, I thank you for all those that are here today. We thank you for those that may be tuning in by way of the stream. And we ask you, Lord, to, uh, to now take your word and your truth. And, and, Lord, speak, we pray, Father. Lord, always we pray, make your word, Lord, relevant to uh, perhaps even conversations we have had of late. Uh, make it relevant to things perhaps maybe been running through our thoughts and our minds. Lord, uh, your Holy Spirit is able to, Lord, uh, apply, Lord, your truth in a very practical Lord, relatable way, and we thank you for that. For, Father, we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, opportunities in opposition is our title for the message today, and oftentimes we find these things come at the same time. Um, we may not like, we like the opportunities, we don't always like the opposition, but, you know, it's amazing how, as I read through the Bible, uh, and you look at, uh, you know, so often throughout the history of God's people, there has been oppositions, there has been challenges. But there's always an opportunity there. There's always an opportunity to glorify the Lord. Uh, again, he's always working all things to the good, to those who love him and are called according to his purpose. You know, uh, look at, um, you know, the, uh, look at Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego thrown into Nebuchadnezzar's furnace. And man, what a miracle takes place. You know, Daniel in the lion's den. Um, you know, Joseph uh, in the pit, then, you know, then in prison, and then promoted to the palace. You know, all these things that seem to oppose us. And sometimes there's things that, that, that take place in our life that just seem to oppose what God is doing in your life. And uh, these things, folks, we need to realize they're not just opposition. There are opportunities. There are opportunities that God wants to work. God wants to reveal himself. God wants to wonderfully do something. And we see that here in our story. Uh, Paul and company now, they're in Galatia. Uh, this is, uh, would be probably central uh, Turkey today. Uh, and the gospel here makes a beachhead. And uh, as we see, you know, Paul, they're on their first journey here, ministering the truth. And uh, they, they come now as, you know, to this place uh, where there's a new, there's a church that actually, you know, begins here. And, and there's a new work of grace. Uh, this particular group, uh, we're going to see later, Paul writes to them in uh, the book of Galatians. Uh, they struggled. They struggled with letting go of, you know, you know just law, you know, just uh, law and works. Uh, that was, you know, one of the things that uh, so often we see uh, is relative to religion. People feel that, you know, they have to work their way to heaven. You know, it's all about, you know, it's all about performance. And when you come to the gospel, it's not about performance. It's about acceptance. It's accepting the grace of God in our lives to wonderfully save us. Now, the question is, do we work? Yeah, we work. We don't work for our salvation. We work from our salvation, okay? Uh, 
you know, once the Spirit of God comes into our life, you know, we, we serve, we work, we, we pour out ourselves. But as we come to the Lord, it, it's simply we realize we're just simply saved, you know, by His marvelous and wonderful grace. And I'll tell you what, if we have sort of a legalistic kind of religious background, we're going to struggle with that. We're going to wrestle with that. Uh, um, you know, whether that was, a, that was a struggle oftentimes for these early believers, because many of them, as we see here, Paul's ministering in synagogues, they were Jewish, um, and they related to God on a works kind of a basis, you know, basically on the Mosaic law and basically what they had to do and how they had to perform, so on and so forth. Um, and so it's a very difficult thing. I see also, too, today, it's very hard for people that have that kind of religious mindset. A lot of times in the religious cults, uh, they have that. Jehovah Witnesses, Mormons, uh, they, they feel that they have to work, you know, for that, you know, that special place, you know, uh, in the next life and so on and so forth. And, uh, and we, we realize that, that this is a beautiful freedom of knowing Christ. That there isn't, it's, it's not about what we do. It's about what we accept. It's, not, it's about what he's done, you know, wonderfully for us. And, and so salvation by, by grace will later become the theme of that book of Galatians. If you read it, you know exactly. If you have read it, you know exactly what I'm talking about. Um, he's, he's reminding them all throughout that book because they had fallen back. They had fallen from grace. They had fallen back under, you know, that regimen of, you know, legalistic, you know. And, and the thing about that is, you know, when you get into that, uh, it's almost like a, a form of kind of slavery where you're enslaved to this kind of a thing and it's kind of a thinking where I just have to keep performing I have to improve myself I have to be better um, and these are things that the, the Bible tells us that God has promised to do in us he will do in us he will you know he will complete that good work that he's begun in us you know Paul would write to the Philippians later in chapter 1 verse 6 he'll complete that we see that also in the Psalms relative to that kind of thought that he will complete he will do finish that work that he has that good work that he has begun within us so that would be the theme, and of course, you know, they were, their thought was, you know, we were saved by this whole matter of, of, of human effort, and no, we are simply saved by faith. And, and, and it's so simple. It is so simple. Sometimes we want to complicate it. And even, you know, even a lot of times in, in Christian churches today, uh, they may preach grace but practice law, okay? That happens, you know. Perhaps maybe that may have been some of our experiences that maybe grace was preached, but law was kind of, you know, the, the pressure to perform, you know, that kind of thing were put under that. And that's a very, very dangerous kind of a thing. So he says here in verse 38, and just reminding us that uh, basically through the man, Christ Jesus, you know, through the Messiah is preached this whole matter of forgiveness of sins because the law would condemn us. You know, Paul brings that out. And if you read the law, you read as a matter of fact, you know, before God's people, um, you know, left the wilderness and, and you know, uh, in, you know is, uh, Moses is imparting to them in Deuteronomy, that final book, you know, as they're launched into the promised land. Uh, in chapters 27 and 28, you have what? The curses and the blessings. And if you don't perform, man, there's curses, okay? There's these curses. And, of course, uh, the warning was to the nation, you know, if they, didn't, if they didn't live up to the standard, you know, the Mosaic standard, that they would be basically removed. And, of course, all the things that Moses said about them had come upon them uh, as, you know, they were the, the northern tribes, you know, after they split the northern tribes, the ten northern tribes were um, basically carried off into slavery uh, by the Assyrians, the two southern tribes that were faithful. 
uh, uh, Judah and Benjamin were eventually carried off uh, to Babylon. And so this whole matter of forgiveness, and that's a beautiful thing about the gospel. The thing, about the, the thing about the law was it covered sin. The sacrifice covered it. Uh, as Paul would refer to later, the times of Reformation. In other words, when Messiah came, uh, that's when it would finally be dealt with, okay? That's when, but, but all the, that's why the, forget, the, the, excuse me, the sacrificial system was a system basically uh, that basically covered it. And, and really the Old Testament system, everything in it, pointed forward to what Messiah would eventually accomplish. That's why when Christ was on the cross, he said, it is accomplished. It is finished. The work of redemption, the work of salvation is fulfilled. No one, in a sense, could add to it. So everything that preceded that, you know, all, all the practices, the rituals, the customs, the traditions, all the Jewish people went through were basically designed to get them to thinking, you know, and to point them in some way, small or great, pointing them to Messiah and his finished work and what he would accomplish. So again, that's a wonderful, wonderful thing about the gospel, <laughs> uh, to be forgiven, uh, to be cleansed, to, to be renewed, to be given you know, a, a whole new beginning as we speak about, we use the term, you know, being born again. So by him, everyone who believes is justified of all things, uh, from all things. And we talked, about, we, you know, we talked about that last week. And, and basically this whole matter of justification is simply this. You don't work to become righteous. You're declared to be righteous. You're imputed. It's imputed to you. It's an amazing thing, isn't it? That we receive the righteousness of Christ, the righteousness of Messiah. It's imputed to us simply because we believe. You can't work for it. You're declared, you're simply declared righteous. And that's why sometimes there's there's many believers think, you know, I gotta, you know, I gotta work hard, I gotta work hard at this kind of a thing. Uh, and basically, uh, you can never improve upon what Christ did. You can never improve upon that finished work that he declares us, he imputes to us his righteousness because on the cross, he took our judgment. You know, he took our place. It was a substitutionary death. You know, imagine in a sense the cross is, he died for me. He died in my place. He died for my sin. He died to take my punishment. It's a substitutionary work. And, and um, you know, I think sometimes it takes a long time for us you know, I couldn't, I never, I, I couldn't connect those dots for the longest time, you know, being a Catholic and seeing Christ on the cross and not fully understanding it until eventually, you know, the gospel came and the Holy Spirit, you know, just opened up my understanding that I could see, okay, he died. And, it, you know, and, and perhaps, you know, as a Catholic, I probably heard he died for the sins of the world, but it was never really personalized. It has to be personalized that he died for me. He died for me. He died for, you know, for the sins that I committed and, and the wrongs of my particular life. And that's why it's very hard for someone who is self-righteous and can't accept that. Um, you know, I'm a good person, you know. Uh, Jesus doesn't need to die for me. I don't need salvation. I think I can get there on my own. You can't. It's, it's absolutely, utterly impossible. You know, that work wonderfully has been done for us. He says, um, so, so for the person who believes, it's justified from all things from which you could not be justified from the law of Moses. Now, over, over in Galatians 2, he's going to say this to them, <clears throat> clarifying it a little bit later, because again, they, they were falling back into this whole thing of just performance and, uh, you know, just all the, the, their tradition, falling back into that legalized kind of tradition. 
Uh, and I've seen this he's also, too, for Christians. I've seen it also happen to Christians that if they come from a very legalistic, if they grew up within that legalistic system of you need to perform for God kind of a thing, instead of seeing what he's done for us, it's very hard. It's very hard to let go of that. Um, you know, we, we've seen folks, we've, 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 folks have come to the church and they've come out of some of these legalistic, rigid backgrounds or cult backgrounds. And, uh, and God has wonderfully, you know, renewed their thinking. But it takes some time. It takes some time for us, in a sense, you know, for the Word of God and the Spirit of God to renew, you know, our thinking and to move us beyond certain paths and patterns that have been very set, you know, in our lives over a period of time. But he says this to the Galatians. He says, knowing that a man is not justified by the works of the law, but by faith in Jesus Christ, even we... Uh, even we have believed in Jesus Christ that we might be justified by faith in Christ, not by the works of the law. Now, he's, speak, he's, he's, he's speaking about this in a sense from a Jewish background, okay? He says, for by the works of the law shall no flesh be justified. Now, he gives an example over in the next chapter. In chapter 3, verse 6, he gives the example of Abraham. You know, Abraham is, is you know, that great example of faith because what? He comes before the law. And so we see a standard set in the life of Abraham for a relationship with God. Remember, Paul will say later in Galatians, he will say the law was simply a schoolteacher. It was a schoolmaster to basically teach us and bring us to Christ. It was never something in itself that was used to really justify the individual. Basically, Paul will go on to say, too, it was designed to condemn. It condemned sin. Uh, you know, the law condemns sin, it convicted of sin, but it didn't really give the power to break free from sin, okay? The Holy Spirit does that. The Holy Spirit, the indwelling Holy Spirit does that within our, in our lives. He gives us that wonderful power. And he says this about Abraham, just as Abraham believed God, and it was accounted to him for righteousness. Genesis 15, long before the law. He simply believed God. And it was accounted to him. It was credited to his account that he is righteous because he very simply believed what God had said. And so we have it in germ form. We have this whole salvation thing in germ form way back there in Genesis, in the first book of the Bible, uh, this, this glorious truth of salvation by faith and belief. He says, so just as Abraham believed God, it was accounted to him for righteousness. Therefore, know that only those who are of faith, are the real sons, are the seed of Abraham, okay? That's not so much a DNA thing. It's a belief thing. It's a spiritual thing. That's why we say so often God doesn't have grandchildren, right? You only got children, okay? You can't, you can't come into the kingdom on the coattails of someone else. Certainly, you can be influenced by somebody else, okay? You can be led to the Lord by somebody else, but you cannot come into the kingdom on the coattails. I think a lot of Christian parents... Think that. Well, our kids just kind of grow up in our home and they're just going to be, uh, you know, if they're just around us enough that, you know, they're going to catch it by osmosis, okay? Uh, there's just going to be this transfer automatic. And, you know, sometimes it is, but a lot of times it isn't. <laughs> we discover that, don't we, as parents? A lot of times, you know, we, uh, our kids grow up in our home and we think because, you know, we're, we pray, you know, we talk about the Lord, we we. You know, we drag them to church, and we make sure they're in Sunday school. Maybe we put them in Christian school. We just automatically assume that, you know, it's going to happen. Nobody comes in on the coattails of anyone else. It's a personal decision that each individual, 
you know, has to make. And, and I don't know if you've made that decision, but you need to make that decision. Um, I, I know that I, I heard that the first time I ever really went into a Bible-believing church. But I wasn't willing. I had to thrash it out. I had to work it out in my mind. You know, what is this? And, and I wasn't just going to out of some, you know, altar call, you know, because maybe I felt guilty or whatever the case may be or, um, or it was just some kind of emotional thing. I wanted to, I wanted to think it through as much as, I could, as much as I could understand, you know, of giving, committing my life and giving my life to the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. For he says, the scripture foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith, he preached the gospel to Abraham beforehand saying, in you, that is in you and in your progeny, in your descendants, all the nations of the earth will be blessed. Because that comes eventually through Christ. And that was in Genesis chapter 12. As God called, the original call to, to Abraham. Abraham, it wasn't like some afterthought, okay? It wasn't like some afterthought that, you know, well, things didn't really fully work out the way I wanted to, you know, with this group of people, so now we're going to call. No, that was God's plan from the very beginning to save all the, the, you know, to work in all the nations of, of the earth. And he was going to work through Abraham, through his descendants, and eventually come through the tribe of Judah. And there would be the line of the tribe of Judah. There would be, you know, God's Savior of the world, the Messiah of all mankind. So that those who are of faith are blessed with believing um, Abraham. For as many as are of, of the, are, excuse me, uh, are of the works of the law are under the curse. For it is written, Cursed is everyone who does not continue in all things which are written in the book of the law to do them. But that no one is justified by the law in the sight of God is evident. For the just shall live by faith. And we see that uh, reference there. Habakkuk. It's Habakkuk chapter 2 verse 4. Uh, that verse has been so powerful. We find it in Galatians. We find it in Romans. We find it in the book of Hebrews. We find that it was the verse of Scripture that basically begun the Reformation. The church was, 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 church was practically dead through the, the dark ages there. And here this, this Catholic monk, this Augustinian monk, he goes to Rome and he's going up Pilate's staircase and doing penance on his knees. And all of a sudden, he gets a revelation. The just shall live by faith. And he gets up and he goes back to, to Wittenberg, Germany. And it just began a transformation. What we call, what is called, you know, in Christianity, the, the reformation, you know, of the church, transforming Europe, changing Europe in a very incredible, interesting way. And you know what? God's word will change us. The, the just shall live by faith as we trust him, as we live for him, as we walk with him, as we know him. That's the one thing we want to pass on. That's the one thing we want to we share with other people is, is you know, our faith, our trust in him and what he has done for us. You know, one of the things that um, God said about the, the Jewish people is that when grace was at work within the early church and God's people, that it would create a jealousy 
uh, he speaks about that in Romans uh, 9, 10, 11, about provoking them to jealousy. I think we do that in a sense with other people. I, I think that when we have the joy of the Lord, when the Spirit of God is upon us, when we're filled, you know, with, 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 the, with the life of God in us, uh, there's people that, you know, maybe look at us, people that know us, and they say, you know what? I, I want what they have. I said that. I said that. My first exposure to Christians was, I, I don't know really what they got, but I want it because there was, it was just a, there was a wonderful contagion about the spirit of the living God that when he's at work in, a, in someone's life, it exudes, a, it exudes a, a confidence. It's a confidence of faith. It's a, a confidence, a, a sense of joy, uh, a, a sense of peace and contentment, you know, in the heart and in the life. And there's things that, you know what, people try to get in the world and you can't get them in the world. They, could, they only come in a relationship with our Lord and Savior as he's at work within our life. And I think it's, I think it's one of those kind of things that it can create sort of a hunger, a thirst, a, like a jealousy, if you will. Like, wow, I, you know, I kind of I want that. I, I, you know, I remember, you know, I remember Harry the way he used to be. And um, man, I don't know what's happened in his life. But, uh, but whatever I've been around him and whatever he has, I'm just like, wow, I'd like to have that, you know, in, in my life. And uh, that's why it's important for us, you know, to communicate, you know, Christ and to have that joy of the Lord, you know, in our life and not be, you know, so discontent, you know, in, in this world. We, you know, we can have a godliness with contentment is great gain, okay? When we have the Lord, when we're content, you know, with having the Lord and not having all this stuff, there's, isn't it endless, you know, you know, the, uh, our, the kids, uh, they uh, used to watch Veggie Tales. My grandkids watch them now, and uh, you know they—I forget who it was, Larry the Pickle or somebody like that. Uh, uh, he was always going to Stuff Mart. Okay, it was a play on words. You know, always going to Walmart, always going to Stuff Mart. You know, to get more stuff. You know, and, and isn't that our world today? I need more stuff. You know, I just. I, I, if I'm really going to be happy, just, I need more stuff. And like the more stuff we have, the less happier we are. Because we need him. Amen? We need the fullness of the Spirit of God within our hearts, within our lives. That's exactly what we need here. Now, it gives him a little warning here in verse 40. Uh, pride doesn't like warnings, but again, warnings are God's advice. Warnings are God's wisdom. And again, he's, again here's a quote here from Habakkuk. Habakkuk. That minor prophet, not, not minor in power, but just minor because of the, the, uh, the, the size of his prophecy. And he says to them this. He says, Behold, you despise this marvel and perish, for I work a work in your days, a work which you will by no means believe, though one were to, to declare it to you. So Habakkuk, in that original context, he's speaking to disobedient Israel. And he's saying to them, Guys, if you don't get it together and repent, Babylon is coming. And it, even, it was even upsetting to Habakkuk because one of the things he said with the Lord is, Lord, we're, we're better than the Babylonians. Why do you have to use the Babylonians to, you know, to, to, to deal with us or to chasten us, whatever the case may be? And, um, and of course, uh, uh, they didn't listen. You know, warnings sometimes are hard to heed. You know, we, you know, we as a people sometimes or as an individual, you know, we have a, we're bent on a purpose and that sort of thing. But listen, whenever God interrupts our little plan, man, let him have his way. It's wise. It's, it's good advice. 
And the Bible has many, Old Testament, New Testament as well, has many different warnings or wisdom, warnings or advice. How many times as we as parents, because of our love, our deep love for our children, we've given them warnings. And we've been down that road. We, we've got our fingers burnt. Um, you know, we've learned many lessons in life as you mature, and sometimes those lessons are kind of costly. So we pass those warnings on, you know, to our children. Of course, you know, they, you know, kids, you know, kids, yeah, <laughs> yeah, my mom and dad, they don't know anything. Uh, usually, you know, as you're a teenager, you know, we know everything, our parents know anything. By the time you get to be 30, you realize your parents are geniuses, you know. Uh, because, you, because you've, you've, you've learned, you know, you've taken your lumps, you've learned so many different things. And God, the thing about the Lord is he wants to spare us a lot of heartache. He wants to spare us a lot of trouble. And again, if we take heed to the things that he says, and I think too also, and I think, you know, when you think about our country today and where it is, you know, judgment's coming to this world. It, it is coming to this world. And if, you know, if you tell people that, you know, it's like, they, you know, it's like, you know they, they blow you off. They, they blow you off. You know, judgment coming to America, you know, well, well what have we done? You know, kind of a thing. <laughs> That's a long list, let me tell you. I mean, 60 million, over 60 million abortions. <laughs> and, and the thing about America, you know what we do about our sin? We export it. That, that's what we tend to do with our sin. We tend to export it to, you know, to other nations. And, the fact, and, you, and again, we tell people that you know, judgment is coming, and you know, you know, what are you? Are you, some, are you crazy? Are you some kind of Puritan? You know, next time, you know, you're going to be walking around the sidewalks with a sandwich board on you kind of a thing type of you know, reaction to that. But it's true. Judgment is coming. And I believe right now the church is in a, a period of testing. We are in a time of testing. How are we going to fare? And it's, in a sense, comes down to individually, doesn't it? You know, are we going to stand up? Are we going to stand up for Jesus Christ when we need to stand up, when we are given the opportunity to glorify him, to honor him? Don't want to shrink back. I don't want to shrink back. I uh, don't want to, you know, uh, become, you know, fearful and worried. And, you know, the thing, the, the thing that you see about God's people in the scriptures, um, they so often had every reason to fear. But you know what? They stepped up to the plate. They stepped up to the plate. And you know what? They discovered God came through. And, and he does. God does test the righteous. And I really believe that the, the church is, you know, God's spirit is probing. He is probing. He's checking us out. Uh, he's, he's wanting to find out who. Or what's the scripture say in Second uh, Chronicles 16, 9, I think it is. The eyes of the Lord search to and fro the earth to, 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 to find that person whose heart is loyal to him. And I think, I believe that he's, he's, he's doing that today. And again, many people, many people will not, will not believe the message of the Bible. That what's going to, you know, the, the, the future of this world. The terrible time ahead. Terrible time that's ahead. This church age, it's going on for 2,000 years, folks. It's, it's, it's coming to an end. It's coming to an end. Peter would say this uh, to, uh, to his generation. Let's see here. 
he would say that knowing this first, that scoffers will come in the last days, people who are walking according to their own lust, their own desires, and, and they would say, where's the promise of his comings? For since the fathers fell asleep, all things continue as they were from the beginning of creation. In other words, yeah, my, my Uncle Joe, you know, you know, my Aunt Marge, you know, she was one of these Bible-believing Christians, and she's talking about Jesus coming, and she's coming, she's gone, uh, kind of a thing. And people will, you know, mock, and they will scoff, you know, at what the Bible says about these things. For this they willingly forget, that by the word of God, <clears throat> excuse me, that, that by the word of God the heavens were of old, and the earth were standing out of the water, in the water, and by which the world that then existed being flooded with water, referring to Noah's flood. I find it interesting, isn't it? that right in the heart of our country that there's an ark built. And we were just there for the first time a couple weeks ago. It was amazing. If you've never gone there, you've got to go there. It's Creation Museum. They're, they're a few miles apart there, but they're the same ministry. Uh, but to see a, a replica of the ark, I mean, it's a, I, I, think, I think it's a witness to our nation. Because Jesus said, that as we draw near to the end, it will be like the days of Noah. Everybody just going about their business, business as usual. Until that day came. The, the, the rains came, the floods came. Isn't it amazing? Eight people on the entire earth were saved. That's not a fairy tale. Many people, we've, we've turned Noah's, you know, we've turned Noah's, the whole Noah thing into a fairy tale, haven't we? You know, you see the cute little pictures of the ark, and here's all the animal heads sticking out of the ark, and there's Noah, you know, waving on the ark. But it's a witness of the fact of, of the judgment that came upon this world. He goes on to say, But the heavens and the earth, which are now preserved by the same word, are reserved for fire until the day of judgment and the perdition of ungodly men. But, beloved, do not forget this one thing, that with the Lord one day is as a thousand years, a thousand years as one day. And the point that he makes from that is simply this, the Lord is not slack concerning his promises. Some men count slackness, but is long-suffering toward us, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. You see, God is gracious. He's waiting. He's giving people an opportunity, giving, you know, uh, sufficient time for the gospel to work its way through a society, through a culture, giving people an opportunity to make their choice to accept or to reject. You know, again, he's not willing. He's not willing that any should perish. The heart of God is so kind. The heart of God is so gracious. That's why he is so incredibly forbearing. You know, that, that's why he is so patient and long-suffering with humanity. I, you know, I think about, when I think about God's kindness, you know, that's what's it say in, in uh, Romans 2, verse 4 or 5, perhaps, that the kindness of God leads us to repentance. And when I think about the kindness of God in my life, I mean, I don't even have to, me I don't even have to measure the, the culture against God's God. Just measure me. <laughs> Lord, you're so good. You're so kind. I mean, he could have so easily let my life be taken and judged me. And th that's the heart of God. He wants to save people. That's why John would say, 
God is love. But there's also to justice. And if, we, if someone re, refuses the love of God, what's left? Justice. But he is moved by his love. He is moved by grace and kindness. Now the reaction in verses uh, 42 and, and 43 is kind of a pastor's fantasy. Because it's just, a, just you know, people are begging to read us the Bible. I mean, pastors go crazy about that, you know. It's like, what a wonderful thing to have. And so we're told here that the, Gent, the Jews went out from the synagogue and the Gentiles begged that these words might be preached to them the next Sabbath. And when the congregation had broken up, many of the Jews and devout proselytes followed Paul Barnabas, who, speaking to them, persuaded them to continue in the grace of God. And this is a critical, important principle that we see all the way through the Bible in order to have an ongoing, lively spiritual life. And simply that is what continue in his grace. How many do we know? How many do we know that have turned? Turned away. You know, Paul even speaks about in one of his letters about, you know, you know, persevering until Christ is really formed in your heart, in your mind, in your life, in your thinking. Colossians, Paul says over in Colossians 1, he says, if indeed you continue in the faith, ground it and steadfast and are not moved away from the hope of the gospel which you've heard over in Hebrews 13.1 he says let brotherly love continue remember that's one of the things one of the earmarks in a sense of the end time that the love of many will grow cold Jude would say keep yourselves in the love of God and I always translate it like this keep yourself in love with God because if you keep yourself in love with him Remember the Ephesians, great dynamic church. John, the apostle, was the pastor and bishop of that work. And yet, it's interesting, they, they left their first love. They left it. Be careful. And in the way I think sometimes it happens, we'll always say, because once you really know the Lord, once he has really come into your life, into your heart, once you know that, once you experience that, it, it, it's, it's so powerfully effective that I'll always say, I love God. But I've noticed times in my own life where that, where that love is transferred to something else. And it can happen. It can happen. I... I We've, we've seen situations where someone has made a vow to love somebody else and gave it up. The Bible says, Jeremiah 79, our hearts are desperately wicked and deceitful. Uh, was it Baxter? He says, we have traitors in our hearts. <laughs> you, you discover this. You discover this as you walk with the Lord. And that's why I think that we need to just continue to hold on to him, keep clinging to him. Continue, continue in the grace of God because there's all kinds of things that try to dissuade us, pull us away, 
you know, from our relationship with the Lord, from that, from that you know, we'll say, well, and it's not, the, it's not the, in a sense that you lose your salvation, but you lose your focus. You, you lose your, your love, you lose your, your fixation, your joy. There's, there's so many things that, that we can lose. In, in, you know, when we, um, it was at the Hebrews chapter, chapter 2, to take the more earnest things that we have heard, lest they slip away. And it's a nautical term of a boat just being losing its mooring and slipping out of the harbor. And that's how sometimes it happens with us. And with the Lord, it's a slow, sometimes imperceptible drift where we just sort of drift away and we don't even realize if you've ever been fishing in a boat and, uh, and uh, you're, you're so intent on your fishing, you're catching your fish, you look up, go, where'd the land go? You know, kind of a thing. We were down in Maryland one time crabbing and, and I can remember we're so caught up in, you know, not only with our nets, but also hand lines pulling the crabs in and we're having such a great time. We looked up like, whoa, I can't believe we are so, so far from the land. And, and that's how it happens spiritually. That's how it happens spiritually, that, that there's a drift sometimes that can take place, you know, in our lives and in our situation. Now, next week, by that time, the whole town has heard the good news. And only by the word of mouth. You know, when you think about sometimes, you know, social media, you know what it does to us? It so saturates us with information we don't want anymore. It's like an information glut. I probably get 40 to 50 to maybe 60 emails that come into my mailbox every day. And there's a lot of them, you know what, I don't even read. I just hit the little thing and then I hit my little trash can. Boom. I don't have time. I don't have time to read all those things. And some of them, you know, some are probably good news feeds and that sort of thing. The next Sabbath, almost the whole city came together to hear the word of God. And when the Jews saw the multitudes, they were filled with envy, contradicting and blaspheming. They opposed the things that were spoken by Paul. You know, for every good response to, to God's word, there's going to be a negative one. And I think also, too, this is why it's very important that we must not allow rejection to be taken personally. Okay. A lot of people reject us because we're, we're just Christians. Sometimes people reject you because of the Spirit of God upon your life, and they don't even know why, but I don't like you. <laughs> oh, really? Okay. I'll stay away from you. But we can't take it personal. And we, we tend to do that, don't we? That's why sometimes I think we're afraid to witness. I don't, want the I don't want the rejection. There's something about our humanity. We hate rejection. You know, you know, part of that whole, you know, part of our social makeup. In a sense, yeah, we need one another. But you know something? We need him more. And there's a lot of people that need to hear what we know and what we have in our life. And so whether they reject us or not, it, and sometimes the, the, the rejection is initial, it's, it's not really permanent. 
It could be just an initial kind of rejection because they don't like hearing that or I'm not ready for that or, you know, don't give me a religious kind of thing, whatever the case may be. But we do that because we love them. And, and, the, and the truth at work within their lives. There's something about the truth. You know, when, it, when it gets into the soul, into the heart, into the mind, something about it has a way of resurfacing. Why did they, you know, you say something, you witness somebody, and they'll go, well, they may not say anything, but they'll go, you know, why did they say that? Or why did they look at me like that? Or why, did, why do I feel like this, you know, kind of a thing. The, the truth is like that. The Holy Spirit will take the truth and begin to work, you know, in, in someone's life. To, and it's all a part of illumination. It's all a part of God's, you know, work of illumina- illuminating us to truth. This world will so jade us and darken us, this secular culture, in the sin nature. And, and with, you know, with all of our advances in technology, in knowledge and all that, people get all the more darker. I was reading an article this week in my beloved Philadelphia. That's where I grew up. You know what they call Philadelphia? The city of brotherly love. A woman was raped for 40 minutes on a commuter train. And everybody on the train, nobody did anything, but they all had their phones recording it. Nobody even called 911. Are you kidding me? I wish I would have been on that commuter train with a baseball bat. And, and of course, the guy who did it had a litany of offenses, charges, prison time. Was it fear? Fear, I, I, I don't want to get involved. Folks, we are involved. We're human beings. We are involved. God help us to step in where we need to step in. Not, not to be busybodies. But there comes time when, when we need to step in to the situation, to the circumstance. So again here, this was, this, we see here this situation in verses 44 and 45. It's provoked basically by jealousy. Um, you know, people are, this was a God thing. You know, people were hungry for truth. And, and Paul and Barnabas say, come. And basically, this is what the gospel does. It, it stirs up a hunger, a thirst in people's lives when they begin to hear truth. It wasn't anything against that particular group there or against that synagogue or whatever the case may be. But people were simply hungry. I've seen pastors do this. I've seen pastors get so jealous because God may be, might be revival in the church down the street. Pastor Chuck tells an interesting story about a pastor when God began to pour out a spirit in California in the 1960s. And just, a, you know, the church there just exploded, eventually exploded to like 30-some thousand people. Can you imagine that? And that's what was dubbed basically the Jesus Movement. And there was this, this denomination, I won't tell you the denomination, but there was a denomination down the street. And this guy so maligned what was taking place, you know, through Pastor Chuck and the ministry there, just so maligned it. 
So much so that he drove most of the people out of the church. And so they ended up going to Calvary Chapel. And it came to the place and to the point where they couldn't even make their mortgage. They couldn't even make their mortgage. Because, again, the bitterness of the pastor, because of jealousy and envy. And the news of that came to Pastor Chuck and the board. And you know what they did? Did they say, yeah, all right. No, they paid off the mortgage of that church. That's grace. That is marvelous grace, the grace of God. And I'll bet you it changed that pastor, you know? That's why the scripture says, you know, uh, if there's somebody who's got a problem with you, take coals of fire, okay, um, and, 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 and give it to them. Um, basically, you, you, to give somebody a fire uh, was a gift. It was a blessing. And that's what we're to do. You know, bless those who despitefully use you and speak of you. And those, this is not our nature. This is not our nature. We, we want to respond in kind. And all it does is just replicate the situation and repeats it over and over and over again. And we can only do it because of the Spirit of God and the grace of God in our own lives. Oh, God, give us your grace. Lord, help us to, to really fix some of the messes that are around this world in, in any way that we can, you know, by his marvelous grace. And now in verse uh, 46 here, you know, Paul will tell us later in, in the book of Romans, I think it's chapter 3, and, and, and some other places as well, that the Hebrew had a great advantage and a privilege because of basically God's favor to them. God's favor to them, God's covenants, you know, with them. Uh, and so, too, with the gospel, they receive the priority of hearing it first. And he, he talks about that, you know. Uh, he says that, you know, uh, and we see it practiced in his you know, methodology to the Jew first and then to the Gentile. And so he says here very boldly in verse 46, it was necessary that the word of God should be spoken to you first. But since you reject it, now not everybody rejected, but again, there were those representatives, and oftentimes it was the leaders, you know, those who were in positions of authority and power, um, you know, as probably a lot of folks, you know, the, in, the, in the synagogue there and proselytes, all of a sudden they're following, you know, they're following, you know, Paul and Barnabas here, and and uh, must have been a real struggle for them. But since you reject it and judge yourselves unworthy of eternal life, behold, we turn to the Gentiles. And so God, he's the, true, he's the good shepherd, isn't he? He's the good shepherd because he's what? He's always pursuing us. Um, and so here he, he, sends, he sends, you know, the gospel through Paul and Barnabas to these little outposts, you know, in, you know the, these little enclaves of, you know, God's people, the Jewish people in these different places um, and the gospel going out to, their, to them. And then that place became, becoming a life-saving station, that place becoming really uh, a church, and the word church simply means this, ecclesia. It's the Greek word ecclesia, the called out ones. And we are called out. We're called out of this world. We're called out of this world to live and to honor and to reflect who he is, who he is. And we do that because we know him, and we know his love. We know his grace. We, we know his work. And so, but, you know, when, when you resist... It, that choice takes you in another way. And there, there are consequences. That's what the Bible, the Bible warns against. 
And that's why, again, a warning is, is wisdom, it's advice, because there's consequences to rejecting, again, that messianic invitation, that invitation for salvation, that free gift. And all we have to do is just simply receive it by faith. That's why the Bible says today is the acceptable day. Now is the time. The day is the day of salvation. In other words, when that truth comes and challenges us in our hearts and our lives, that's the, that's the moment, that's the time to take hold of the, 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 the life preserver, if you will. And his quotation here from Isaiah 49, which was spoken in its original context about Messiah, for I have set you as a light to the Gentiles that you should be for salvation to the ends of the earth. And of course, this would be also applied, if you remember, uh, in Luke chapter 2, when Jesus, when Mary and Joseph came to do after the custom um, to dedicate the baby Jesus and also to have him circumcised, which basically took place, base, uh, place rather on the eighth day, that they come into the temple and the Holy Spirit just brings in these two elderly saints, uh, Simeon and Anna. Uh, Anna, she's just so old. Um, but both her and Simeon, Simeon is obviously a priest. And so, you know, he takes the baby Jesus up, you know, in his arms. And he, and he, and he wonderfully prophesies. I think I, I think I have it here. Yes, I do. I just want to read it to you. When he says, Behold, there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon, and this man was just and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel. That was always a messianic hope, waiting for the consolation of Israel when he would come and bring his consolation and bring his comfort. Uh, and the Holy Spirit was upon this guy. And it had been revealed to him, interestingly. He's Old Testament, okay? But it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death until he had seen the Lord's Christ. So here he is, he's elderly. Maybe he's been waiting for a long, long time. The Holy Spirit told me. The Holy Spirit revealed to me. I'm going to see the Messiah. I'm going to, I'm going to lay my eyes upon him. And here he does. So he came by the Spirit into the temple, and when the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him according to the custom of the law, he, he took him up in his arms, and he blessed God, and he said, now he gives here a prophecy. Lord, now you are letting your servant, speaking of himself, depart in peace according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared before the face of all peoples, a light Here's where it comes in. A light to bring revelation to the Gentiles and the glory of your people, Israel. And Joseph and his mother marveled at those things that were spoken of him. And then Simeon blessed them and said to his mother, or to Mary, his mother, Behold, this child is destined for the fall and the rising of many in Israel, and for a sign which will be spoken against. He goes on, yes, a sword shall pierce through your own soul also, and the thoughts of many, that the thoughts of many hearts may be revealed. So an interesting prophecy, uh, speaking of the fact that, you know, that Mary, what a, uh, what a sword it would be through her, her heart. And isn't it true in a sense that when you represent, and see, we carry Christ with us too. And in a sense, because of Christ in us, we are pregnant with all kinds of possibilities, opportunities that God wants to come out of our lives. He wants to reach out and touch lives. And sometimes you find out when you line up with him, 
Sometimes it can feel like a sword through your own heart. Sometimes being a Christian, it's a wonderful thing. Nothing like it, nothing better. But sometimes it can be a deep wound. But I'm thankful he's Jehovah Rapha. He's the Lord, our healer. And I'm sure eventually he did that for Mary. Now let's, uh, okay, we need to wrap this up here. And when the Gentiles heard this, they were glad and glorified. The word of the Lord, as many has been appointed to eternal life, believed. Some people say, I don't think I'm appointed to eternal life. Well, if you don't want to be, you don't have to be. But you know something? I didn't think I was. I didn't care. So all of a sudden, the eternal Son of God revealed himself to me, and it's like, oh, I want that. I want that. All you have to do is believe. If you believe, you'll find out you've been appointed to eternal life. Jesus said, all that come unto me, I will no wise, no way cast out. If we come in faith, we come sincerely, he will not turn us away. I always marvel at the fact that someone has lived their entire life and they come to Christ at the end of their life. Better than that than not, right? But, but I remember seeing a man, 92 years old, come to Christ. He was hopping around like a giddy little kid. What blows my mind about that is that he was chosen before the foundations of the world. And he was appointed to eternal life. But it didn't happen for him until he was 92. <laughs> Praise God for that. But I'll tell you what, the earlier the better. It's a great life. It's really the only life. The life that God calls you to, that's the life. To walk with him, to know him. And so the word of the Lord was being spread throughout all the region. And as probably the synagogue authorities here, they stirred up the devout and prominent women and chief men of the city and raised up persecution against Paul and Barnabas and expelled them from their region. You know, it doesn't take much to stir up bitterness, does it? To stir up resentment. Look, look how it's kind of gone into, look, how, look at just the uptick since we've had social media. You know, the bullying the, the saying of unkind things as people hide behind their phone or they hide behind their community. The things, you know, it's amazing. It's people say things in, in social media. They would never say to your face. Or they would never say it in public, but yet they get stupid things out there <laughs> and say sometimes some incredibly hurtful things. Doesn't take much to stir things up. So persecution was raised up uh, against Paul and Barnabas and expelled them from the region. You know, it's... Um, I saw an article here from the Center for a Study of Global Christianity. The report was in the last decade, 900,000 Christians were martyred. It's like, wow, really? Sure don't hear about that on the news. <laughs> I think it's coming. 
I think it's coming to our part of the world. It will eventually come, we know that. And so they shook off the dust of their feet. Remember the Lord says that in Luke 10.10. 10. He says, if they don't want you to move on, just shake off the dust of your, your feet, you know, dust of your clothes as a witness against them. And the disciples were filled with joy and with the Holy Spirit. Doesn't that run against our natural logic? That they're mistreated, they're taken advantage of, they're exploited, they're persecuted, all these particular things are rejected, and yet they're happy and full of joy. How in the world basically does that happen? Well, it goes back to what we said before. You know what? They didn't take it personally. They realized this was simply a, 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 against Christ. You know, Paul tells us about faith. You know what he, he likens faith to? In, in, as far as armament, he says, it's like a shield. Your faith in him will protect you. It'll defend you against the arrows, the bullets, and all the things that are fired against you. Don't take it personal. It's not about you. It's about him. And to realize this, I'm rejected because I'm aligned with him. What a privilege. What an incredible privilege that we are aligned with the King of kings, the Lord of lords, the God of the universe, the one who came and manifested his love in going to a cross and manifesting his power by being raised from the grave. Amen. Lord, we thank you. Lord, uh, I pray that, Father, as we, Lord, go forth into our lives this week, we may not be on a journey like Paul and Barnabas were, but we're on the journey of life. Lord, there will be opportunities, Lord, to speak up for you. And I pray that, Lord, you would give us a holy boldness. Lord, you would give us a love for the lost. Lord, you would give us your concern for people that we wouldn't have such a strong fixation upon our own lives and upon ourselves and upon what we think we need. Lord, we need to be like you. And we can't do that in our own right and with our own ability. So we ask for your Holy Spirit, Father, to fill us. And like Paul said in one place, that we might have the mind of Christ. Lord, that we might think like you. You're kind. You're compassionate. You're loving. You're, you're sacrificial. You're all the things that we are not naturally. So, Lord, fill us, we pray. Fill us with yourself. And, Lord, we know that then we'll have joy. We ask it and thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Shall we rise?